This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm not joined by Mawera Karatai because she is driving somewhere between Fakatani and Gisborne. But I am joined by Dr. Karatai Ana Tauru, who I think is in Christchurch. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So we shall give readers and listeners a bit of a, a background. You have been around in computing for a long time and have done lots of really exciting things. The first Maori dictionary or worked on, um, what else have I got here? The working on, on creative commons in into Tereo Maori. And most recently, you've been working lots on iwi data sovereignty um, and all of the things around that. You were in the, the paper last week. Uh, talking about that, which was most exciting. I don't know if that's is that your day job or is is, is this a thing that you're doing on the side now? Because you work for the sure. university. So, yeah, it's more of a side job. Um, I, yeah, I was at the university um, as a researcher, so now I more yeah just do research as a, a my primary job. But of course, my passion is in IT and ensuring that Maori and other um, minorities don't get forgotten about. I guess so. Yes. That's cool. We've been asking people how their bubble life was, and I know that's turning into history, but we're asking it anyway. How was your bubble life? Sure. So the the first lockdown was um, really good timing for me. Um, I was near completing my PhD, and I think anyone who's doing exams or writing a thesis, if you can get it, you know, a couple of days free, it's just it's like golden. But having a lockdown was perfect for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and I yeah, I actually got ahead, um, a few months ahead um, because of the lockdown. But I, um, I also spent a lot of time with my family, which um, I'm usually too busy, but and it kind of made me realise, you know, there's more to life than study and to work and to actually, yeah, you know, take a breath. And um, I started um, doing baking again, something I hadn't done since I was probably, I don't know, 15, 16. I was, um, yeah, um, you know, making scones and cakes and pikelets, <laughs> you know, all, all the things I used to eat. And yeah, so I got back into that, um, back into exercising again. Um, yeah, looking at the gardens, realising how much I haven't done them over the past year. <laughs> Doing a doctorate yeah. does have that impact. Uh, yes, it, it's, yeah, it's quite time consuming and yeah, mentally draining. It's um, something no one really warned me about until halfway through when it was too late to stop. <laughs> yeah. So what was your doctorate on? Um, exploring uh, tikanga issues with uh, genomic research and the, the data sovereignty issues. Ooh. Let's take a few steps back. What got you into computing? Uh, well, originally it was um, back in the uh, mid-1990s. 
um, people were saying, well, if you want a career, if you want to earn decent money, get into IT. And there was no IT um, courses like there are today. It was literally a matter of um, yeah, being shoulder tapped or um, getting on the job training. So my, my first role uh, required someone who had a, a basic understanding of te reo Māori and was willing to do on-the-job training um, to learn databases and um, online systems. So, yeah, I, I fell into it that way and, yeah, haven't looked back. So, yeah. Now, in some of your writing, you said, but at the time, so mid-90s, I think it was, IT was frowned upon by many kamatoa, um and very few Maori were in the industry at the time. What's yes. the history of that? Uh, so... Um, looking back, I think it was a, a mistrust of the government, a mistrust of non-Māori, and a mistrust of what this new technology will do. Um, I, I remember one job I was at, I, a co-mātua, or kuya, um, just basically yelled at me and told me I did everything wrong because I sent an email to another staff member in the same in the same building. And so it was also computers and the internet started eroding our tikanga. And so that started happening in the 1990s when traditionally we would literally walk and go and talk to someone or we would wait till we see them at the next um, marae meeting or the land meeting. So that was playing on their uh, minds as well. And computing was, is complicit in that colonising systems that, that, have, that people have been faced with. Uh, yeah, sure. So the, the more and more technology has grown and developed, the more and more I see it colonising Indigenous peoples and, in particular, Māori people. Um, so, I mean, we have all of our knowledge. Um, we're, we're kind of pushed to digitise our knowledge. We're, we're pushed to digitise our photos. Um, our, we don't we don't physically need to go and visit our marae anymore because we can just do it all online. But then a number of those issues are, well, who owns the digital copy of our mātauranga Māori? And quite often it's not us, it's the government or um, academia that own it. If we share a story online, uh, that, that story can be um, used by anybody and, and adapted and modified by anybody. Yeah, and these are all issues which I, I don't think Māori never had an opportunity to stop and discuss um, back in the earlier days. I've also um, heard a story that one um, academic institute went to a, a local hapu and said, look, we want to digitise all of your um, manuscripts. And but you know the world won't have access to the our digital copy because it will sit on a server inside our office. And so while technically that's true, uh, the, the truth is that anyone on the internet could still copy and paste and do what they wanted. So there was yeah, a lot of misunderstandings of the internet amongst our people as well. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have. Bob Marley and the Whalers. Get up, stand up. Why this one? Okay, so this, this goes back to when I was probably about 10, 11 years old. Just um, the older teenagers in the community were playing Bob Marley music and I started listening to it. And I, I have to admit, at first I didn't understand all the words, but then once I actually realised the words, it just kind of inspired me. And it just, I, I guess at that time in my life, um, I, I was seeing a lot of injustices uh, with um, in the community against Maori. Um, against even in my days it was actually discrimination against females um, and certainly if you weren't a, um, a straight male there was a lot of discrimination which I basically I never understood but then listening to um, yeah you know get up stand up it just kind of yeah it just kind of clicked with me and yeah and then some days when you just 
you know, you, you kind of don't want to, you know, keep on fighting a fight or you just kind of don't want to do something. I just like play, you know, play Bob Marley loud, um, listen to get up, stand up. And it's just, yeah, gets me back into the mood. And it also makes me think too, like, you know, yeah, all the issues that, you know, our you know, predecessors must have had, and especially um, people like, um, you know, in the reggae industry, including Bob Marley and the Whalers and, um, yeah, just the way they could express themselves. It, yeah, it just really resonates with me. Get up, stand up, stand up for your right. Get up, stand up, 
The government's been working on a set of industry transformation plans, and one of them in particular, the the IT one, which is the one that 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 you and I have, have interests in. One of the recommendations is that there needs to be a recognition that the IT pipeline, so that's the IT, the the, the education pathway, but also the progress through careers, um, has failed Maori. Do you think that's real? Uh, yes, it's I've, yeah, it's certainly real, and I've seen it through yeah different generations of children who have uh, been failed in the education system. What do we do about it? Uh, I, I think we need to start co-designing um, the education system. And we've done it with health, uh, yeah. So I, we need to start doing it with the education system. Um, I've been involved with government working groups who have tried looking at how to teach um, digital skills to Maori children. And the, the first obvious um, issue for me was um, the, the courses were talking about, you know, using, um, you know, yeah, things which you didn't see in a marae. I mean, they could have, you know, if you started using um, or using, uh, you know, an example at a marae or at a river um, and then, and, you know, start incorporating um, different technologies and learnings like that, I think it would be a lot more applicable to um, children. Um, quite often, whether it's Māori or non-Māori children, you know, not everyone has um, access to all the resources at home. I mean, I mean, some children don't even have a TV at home, yet our education system assumes that all children have access to a certain amount of resources. And um, so, yeah, so I think, yeah, co-designing and, re- and actually considering all of our society, uh, indigenizing the way we, we teach is also another important aspect. Um, so, I mean, all across the world, I mean, Indigenous peoples have their own way of explaining. Our current education system totally ignores um, all ep- Māori epistemologies, for example. Um, but if we used our Māori epistemologies to teach the internet, for example, um, it, yeah, we could really, you know, provide a good Māori story on what is the internet, how the internet works, how it connects your you to um, other people. Um, in my opinion, it would also be a good um, net safety um, tool. And it will just, yeah, just basically it will break down that barrier that many Māori used to have um, that, you know, the internet and computers aren't for Māori. If you can twist it around or turn it around and indigenise it, uh, I think we'll have a lot more uh, Māori in wanting to learn uh, and get into digital. It's tempting to think that computing is somehow pure or abstract that it doesn't have anything to do with any culture but in your work when you've looked at artificial intelligence for example mm-hmm. it turns out that there is a whole there's a whole thesis on the implications between those those two things do you think if we were to put the same amount of effort in thinking about what is the implications for you know i know you've done data sovereignty and artificial intelligence and a couple of other things if we were to look across the whole breadth of computing would we find similar stuff uh, yes i believe so yes yeah and, and again it's i think you know the digital industry has been predominantly um dominated by usually um middle class you know european men or yeah or, yeah Caucasian men, I guess. And so I guess we, we all have one viewpoint forced upon us, where if we actually co-designed and um, had other minorities um, yeah, included in there, I think we'd actually have a, a much wider scope and a better understanding on what, well, how limiting um, everything is right now and the new opportunities um, ahead of us.
some of the things are obvious, well, semi-obvious, things like face recognition and, and skin colour. The iWatch, the, the I, well, it's not called the iWatch, is it? But the, the Apple's watch had issues yeah. with skin with skin tone. Some of those things are, are obvious. What other sorts of impacts do you see in that, that sort of field? Sure. So for, for Māori, we already know that um, facial recognition doesn't pick up or differentiate very well with Polynesian faces, for example. Um, so I'm seeing, and I know that the, the food industry retailer are looking at facial recognition technologies um, at, for security. So I, I'm seeing a, a huge amount of issues for um, people being falsely accused of shoplifting, um, you know, misidentified. Um, I, I can see a lot of Māori um, who already have a mistrust of the government are probably going to say, well, I don't want a driver's license now, because if I get a driver's license, my photo is going to be used for facial recognition. Um, also, um, job applications. People may w- not want to um, apply for jobs that require criminal history checks, for example, because nowadays you need to have a photo and it goes through a facial recognition system. Um, I, I see issues of discrimination with people who um, who today don't have a moko kanoko, a moko on their face, um, who then go and get one. Um, there's going to be issues at the airports, um, customs, uh, facial recognition, driver's license, police. There's a whole raft of other issues that I see occurring there. Um, yeah, and again, I, I just think this, um, without proper consultation, um, we're going to have Māori and other minorities have this bigger mistrust of the New Zealand government. And yeah, it will create more issues. And connected to that trusting the government, there's, there's trust in the systems and there's trust in data, and that links to that those notions of data sovereignty. We saw that come to the fore a bit during the pandemic with the, the control over Maori health data. Yes, so that was um, a really interesting, um, yeah, a really interesting development. So what we had was a number of individuals from a, a region who um, an agency wanted to assist them to get vaccinated. Then we had some tribal groups, some iwi groups, say, no, you can't access that data because it's iwi data. Um, Yet those people didn't live inside um, many of those iwi regions. Um, And, yeah, so, I mean, eventually the High Court, uh, from my understanding, the High Court noted that um, iwi don't have access to personal health data. And and that's significant um, because it means that as a Māori individual, I have some protection that my data is not that the and you know is not owned by an iwi I affiliate with. Um, because if it did, we would see people deregistering from iwi to protect um, their personal data. Um, yeah, so yeah, so overall, I think it was it was a good debate. Um, I think there's probably a few more court cases need to be had to fully establish um, this uh, this precedent. Um, before that high court, there was a, a Waitangi tribunal hearing, uh, Y2252. Um, so it was part of the TPPA, CPA um, claimants hearings. So what, one of the claims was against the, the e-commerce digital chapter stating that data, so the claimant said, um, we believe Māori data is a taonga and then deserves um, proper engagement and recognition with Māori. Uh, the Crown disagreed with that. Uh, then the Waitangi Tribunal, um, in their decision, um, agreed that Māori data is a taonga, um, that it does have mātauranga Māori. So again, that was a significant step um, forward for individual Māori and for iwi. Um, so the, yeah, uh, basically reinforcing the fact that Māori data, iwi data, whānau data, hapu data, marae data uh, all have sovereignty attached to them. 
We saw a similar thing with the the f- broadcasting. Was it the 3G at the time? Was it Y750 or something? And, and 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 you talk about this one. The the people that signed the the treaty clearly had no idea of this sort of stuff. Does that matter? Um, so, from a traditional knowledge perspective, we have stories about space. We have stories about the stars. And more recently, um, Professor um, Rangi Matamua, I think he's becoming quite a bit of a celebrity talking about um, the, the, the Māori calendar. So we had knowledge of that. We had knowledge um, of all of the natural phenomenon that was happening up there. Um, so and we had traditional stories of, you know, that um, we had deities in that space that um, conveyed messages. They um, threw packages around. So I think, yeah, I, so I think you have to understand that yeah, I mean, although the the chiefs who signed TTDT at the time did not specifically know there was spectrum there, but they had a not they had knowledge that there was something up there. So I think that's important. And it's also important you know, that um, spectrum is used to promote Te Reo Māori, and it was and Te Reo Māori is a Tonga. It was already established as a Tonga. So again, um, my recollection is Māori we got very very little spectrum in the grand scheme of um, what the New Zealand government and uh, overseas companies made off it. So um, I, I think it was a yeah. What personally I think we we got um, undersold on it, but I think it was still relevant. When we see new technologies come in, it's useful to to think about them in terms of the the ethics around them because it's too easy to to not do that so with things like the um the self-driving cars for example we see applications of the the trolley problem the which if the train's running down a track and you can control which track it's going down which which lever do you pull thing and the 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 up-to-date version of that is you know where should the the if the car is out of control where should it favor it's coming when new things come in like that, is it useful to think about them in terms of Mataranga Maori? Is there something that that brings to that table? Uh, yes, definitely. So just off the top of my head, I, I'm not. I, I mean, I can't give an example about a, um, a driverless car, but I, I could, you know, um, you know, assume that if there was, um, you know, middle class white male engineers designing it, uh, they might think. The car crashing into a group, a Maori family, might be less damaging than crashing into a family of white people, for example. So I think there's a bias issue in the design. Maturanga um, Maori, certainly in terms of artificial intelligence. So if we look at now, the name's just um, skipped my memory, but um, Google have created an AI which is now claiming it's human. Um, it's creating huge debate around the world whether a computer can actually um, be a person or not. Um, so from a, um, a Maturanga Maori perspective. Um, yes, a computer, an AI can um, essentially be a human because it has um, Maori, of the, if it has Maori developers and Maori data, then our traditional knowledge talks about Maori um, can be transferred from a person to an object. Um, our, our traditional knowledge talks about um, you know, um, plants and animals that can talk and can actually, um, human beings can, you know, trans, you know, transport themselves into other animals. Um, New Zealand legislation um, says that um, anyone can be Maori if they have a Maori descent. So if an AI um, says it's human and its developers are Maori, then what rights do we have to say, well, you can't be a Maori AI 
uh, and in New Zealand legislation, we give personhood, legal personhood to mountains and rivers. So these are all um, things that we need to yeah, consider. But I think also in New Zealand, we also need to apply titiriti to any um, development that we do anyway. Uh, and and that, that's firmly embedded within our society and within New Zealand legislation. And that overlaps in the case of the work that you've been doing with with stuff which is also at the high end of, of technology, that's the genome research, which brings with it a whole pile of difficult questions. Uh, yes, and unfortunately, most people don't actually consider the implications of providing a blood sample or a, a body fluid sample for a, uh, for a DNA sample. Um, so, I mean, for example, uh, the, the big companies in America, uh, so Ancestry.com and um, et cetera, et cetera, when you provide a sample to those companies, they essentially have copyright. They own your um, that um, body sample and um, your gene from that sample. And then it's, it's um, sold, on-sold, um, it's researched, um, it's totally violated, in my opinion, it's, it's violated. Um, then the power of genomic research is just, it's mind-boggling. Um, and again, I mean, you know, you're, it's not just your DNA sample. It's actually all of your ancestors' DNA sample and all of your current family's DNA sample that you're providing because it's all part of your DNA. From a, um, a traditional Te Ao Māori perspective, there, there's a no, number of other significant issues. So pre-colonisation, we it was always uh, Māori were always taught not to share body fluid or don't um, don't spit on the ground and leave it where your enemy can get it or um, you know clean up your blood and hide it, bury it. Um, just when I was growing up, I mean we were it was you know we were taught to never cut our fingernails or our hair at night. When we did cut our fingernails and hair, it had to be buried or disposed of appropriately. Uh, things like afterbirth, um, from childbirth, um, the placenta, etc. Um, I mean, a lot of people these days it just goes in the the hospital rubbish. But you know, um, for a lot of Maori, it's still planted back in the earth and um, hidden. Um, so I think we need to look at you know look back to be able to look forward in terms of science. I mean, there was a reason our people um, said you know you know dispose of your body samples, dispose of body parts. Uh, so one example with the um, the, uh, the the uh, placenta. Um, is you know sometimes enemy tribes would eat the placenta of their enemies and curse the child. Um, but we know now if you know, someone got a placenta of someone, you can extract the DNA. You can do all sorts of um, yeah mind-boggling uh, experiments and basically find out all sorts of personal things about that person. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orakunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, ko tāwhahau. I hope you're all having a beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope if you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together, very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you, more and more, who you are, triumph of nature's art, unique and here, making better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all, the last more than two and a half years have been a very tricky and challenging time. We've had to learn so many new ways of doing and seeing feeling. It's so important that we treat ourselves and each other with the greatest passion this time and always. I've just been diagnosed with long COVID very exciting obviously. I have been having a big rest as much as I can, which an interesting process for me. So for all of you out there who are needing to rest, 
please do importantly give ourselves the time to rest and recover. And at the moment, I'm really appreciating listening to the birds outside and a sense of that bigger picture that we're all part of this growing co-evolution with all that, that we are never alone. We're surrounded by the support of our whānau, great living web. And I've been very grateful for all the support that a lot of people have offered to me after I've shared the fact that I've got long COVID. Lots of people have been saying, how can they help and all that sort of thing, which is so kind. So I really hope for you, whatever's happening for you, you're getting that support from those around you. I know that for me, knowing that people care makes a difference. They don't necessarily have to do anything, but knowing that they're there and that they care, that makes a huge difference to how I feel. And I know that for all of us, when we do make the effort to share our nurture with one another, it's so helpful, not only for them, but for us, that we allow that inner nurture to come forward and we have the opportunity for that part of us to really shine our ability to love, our ability to care, our ability to see the beauty and preciousness in those around us, to cherish them and find those special aspects in that we may only be able to see at certain times, but we know we're always that these are such gifts. And we may see parts of these people that they can't see themselves or that others can't see. And then there is that innate ability that we have to see the spirit and some of the soul, the wide world, able to have a sense of that innermost aspect, that sense of the unconditional love that is present within all our hearts and we can connect to that part. And I'm so grateful that we can because it means that we can let go of so many blocks and obstacles to connection when we can connect on that level so much more is possible. So I really hope that for you you're having the opportunity for your inner nurture to come forward and that you're also feeling nurtured, that you're doing what you need for yourself at this time, that that's going for a walk, looking at the trees moving in the wind, having a fun time with friends, listening to beautiful music, making beautiful music, doing beautiful art, doing beautiful art, whatever it is, is uplifting you, reminding you of who we are we can be. And of course for me being part of this show is so special, so a big thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team and to all of you, and I look forward to talking again soon. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Karatai Te Ana Tai Uru. We're talking about various things, about our sovereignty, Maori health, we are just talking about the genome. In that industry transformation plan that we were talking about, earlier it uses the term maori technology ecosystem quite a lot is is there a and i know there are just some real successes and i'm thinking of um maui studios in christchurch is doing really nice work and Coward digital in auckland Stephen renata is it a um is it a strong community out there um yeah there's definitely a strong community um one community I belong to, Māori, we're Māori digital practitioners. There's about 700 members there. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure we all know each other, and there's a number of different Māori specialist groups uh, are being created. Um, we have data groups, uh, general IT uh, and education groups. Uh, as you say, I mean, we've got some amazing graphic artists coming through, just, yeah, world-leading. 
Māori gamers um, who are you know on the international stage and creating games. Um, I think the only thing that really holds up the Māori game development is um, financial you know financial resources. It's uh, very expensive. Um, but yeah, so definitely. Um, Māori, you know, Māori working in digital is becoming more and more common. And there are, I, th- I think some of the reasons for that is we've got lots of good role models now. We've got, you know, young, vibrant role models. Um, you know, th- there's definitely job opportunities now. Uh, you, know, b- you know, back in the ni- you know, early 2000s, typically you had to have a science and a mathematics background to um, get into IT. Uh, but now it's just there's just so many more opportunities. Uh, you know, the internet's part of most of our lives. Um, as is, you know, cell phone technologies. So I think, yeah, we, we'll continue to see it grow. But I mean, as you mentioned before, I mean, the the you know the the stumbling block is in the education system. Yeah, I, I know children who have you know gone through um, primary school, finished high school, and still don't know the basics of a computer. And that's you know, this is yeah, you know, seventeen, eighteen year olds I know now, can, yeah, still at that stage. But they most of them have an iPhone or um, an Android, and they can do everything on the phone, but nothing, yeah, nothing that would help to get them a job. So there's, yeah, some real issues there. It's cool that that is Maori Digital Practitioner. That term came out of the first knowledge strategy, I think. And in the early 2000s, when Kyla Russell and I um, started working on the Simpa project, and we were asking, because it on the basis of there's this thing called these Maori digital practitioners were going to save the world, or at least the New Zealand part of it. And when we asked people who they were, everybody named the same three or four people. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yeah, definitely, yeah, back in yeah, 1990, 2000, there was, yeah, there was literally only a handful of people. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it only started growing maybe after, I mean, I think about maybe about 2010 onwards, it started increasing. Um, but again, I, I think it was because predominantly Māori weren't strong in sciences and maths, or they dropped out of the education system. Um, I, I remember when I wanted to do a um, do some you know um, certifications and some qualifications. I had two choices: go to university, or actually have a significant amount of money up front to pay for a um, a private industry certification. Um, so of course, you know, being you know. 2021 and the sort of money that was required back then was it was impossible um and i hadn't been at my on the job training long enough to uh, for the company to invest in me so i mean yeah back then uh, there, there was no hope unless you had um, a lot of cash um or and or uh, had finished high school and could get into university um, there, there was yeah a huge amount of barriers for maori back then one of the things that's happened over the last year or so, although presumably it was happening before, it's just come to the, the forefront, is the, 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 the anti-vax uh, movement and the connection of that to that distrust in the government that you're talking about, but also a strong complicity of things like social media. Mm. Has that been brewing for a long time and has it exploded and gone away or, or do we need to still address it? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, it's exploded. It's everywhere. Um, but... Yeah, so I guess from my own personal research, I, I'm seeing um, a lot of international groups uh, who usually don't like Māori, usually white supremacist groups, manipulating uh, Māori, um, playing on the fact that you know, Māori have a mistrust of the government. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it's really, really concerning for me. Um, I even know people who I consider you know, reasonably intelligent and well-educated falling down those rabbit holes because they've seen stuff on the internet or on social media. Um, 
it's a, yeah a well orchestrated attack on Maori. Um, even yeah, I mean, I, I, there's groups of Maori in Christchurch who actually um, actively engage with a, um, a well-known white supremacist. Who, if you type the person's name into stuff, it comes up. He, you know, he's burnt down a marae. He's done all sorts of things. Yet these people still trust him, and it's because yeah, I, I guess um, people are insecure. We've, we've gone through a pandemic. Um, we, we're hearing all this false media. Um, people who may not have contact with their family uh, may not have too many friends. I mean, this is just a it's a comfort, I guess. Um, many of us were brought up stories um, about the like the, the Tohunga Suppression Act, um, Native schools. Um, many Maori been brought up stories about being discriminated against with the government and lied to. Um, many of us who have grandparents who went to the war, we know our grand our Maori grandparents went to war as equals. And we know they came back and were treated differently. They were treated um, at a lower level than their non-Maori peers. Um, so I think there's a, there's a whole lot of um, yeah, historical reasons why this is occurring. Um, the, and to try and combat it, um, I, I think we just need more and more positive role models online, um, you know, starting to discredit this. But at the same time, you know, we shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't give up friendships and give up our families um, who have fallen down the rabbit hole because that just reinforces what they believe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, be kind and, yeah, try to educate. There must be a lot of good social networks as well, the Marai groups or Hapu groups or whatever, that are, are connecting and staying connected through through Facebook. Um, there's, there's definitely some good groups. Uh, personally, I know of several Marae who don't trust the government and are anti-vax. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So again, it's um, we have some amazing health leaders in, in the Maori world, and yeah, basically, I, I see them stepping up, and yeah, I just yeah, really take my hat off for them to them. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's crazy, but um, yeah. The, I, again, the more we have our role models um, trying to engage and yeah, create proper information, the better. I think yeah. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Rua Kinana. It's by, I think it's David Grace. Why this one? Um, so similar to um, Get Up, Stand Up, I mean, before I'd um, heard this, um, this song, I'd actually studied history um, throughout my high school years. And one of the topics that we studied was um, about Rua Kinana. Um, and for me, I, I just really admired um, his stance. Um, he was a, a, a leader, a prophet. He, he tried to balance colonization with his own beliefs, or with his people's own beliefs. Um, he, yeah, he went to extraordinary lengths to protect his people, um, to retain sovereignty, yet the New Zealand government um, basically, yeah, treated him quite badly to make, you know, to try and put other people off, um, basically not following the straight and narrow. And I think it's also, you know, just the, the the courage of that, you know, back in those days, the courage to go and do that is just, well, I mean, I just, I, I just can't believe it. I mean, you know, we, we you know, in New Zealand, we have the right to protest now and we do protest whether it's with anything, Um but I mean, yeah, for back in um, Rua's um, years, I mean, that was yeah, it was illegal. And the I think it's important too that you know the atrocities and it was atrocities that happened to his people, his village, uh, the atrocities by the police, by the government. Um, it, you know, it's important not to forget that those things did happen, and that, that the children from those times are actually co with our elderly people now who can still talk about um, those atrocities. 
So, and I think as a, as a country, you know, all of us, we need to understand that our history is not great, but we have, we have this unique opportunity to move forward in a positive way. But we can't do that by ignoring what happened in the past. So, yeah, so this song just, yeah, it, again, it just uh, revives me, it inspires me. And, yeah, it also is a, a good reminder that, yeah, of you know, who he was and what he did. Don't 
children of the mist is what they call you, oh Tuhoi. on the show last week talking about an exhibition that his whanau is putting together to go on the Wellington waterfront in a couple of weeks. Um, and it's, I think it's called I Will Not Speak Maori, which is taken from what his father was made to write out hundreds of times. Do you think people will look back at now and think that computing was a force for good in terms of Maori development? Uh, I, I think if more Māori um, can co-design and, and you know, be part of the digital revolution, um, I think in the future we'll say it was positive. Uh, my personal feeling right now is we will look back and consider digital was um, a, another colonisation, uh, another form of colonisation that um, eroded our, our family values, eroded our, um, our tikanga and eroded our knowledge. At the same time, giving up our, um, our, our, our rights to what we used to have, uh, whether it was our our haka, our, our songs, our, um, our images. I yeah, I think yeah, we're we're at a crossroads. We are. It could go either way. I have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, I'd say probably finishing my PhD. Just, it's very selfish, but <laughs> yes. well done. <laughs> and I think it's having impact. So it's not just finished. It's actually it, people. Are, it's you're, you're doing a really good job of of using that that thinking and to tell that message. Oh, thank you. Yes, there was one thing I didn't want to do was to um, do a PhD and just have a book sitting on the bookshelf that no one knew about or what. Yeah, you know, and then look for another job. And unfortunately, I I see a lot of um, people who have PhDs who now work in totally different fields, or and that's exactly what they did. Um, I, for me, when I was doing the PhD, it wasn't just for me. It was always about te ao Māori. So, I, yeah, thank you. And um, I will keep on trying to promote and, um, yeah, encourage my research to have benefits for te ao Māori. So we are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? <laughs> my superpower? Um, probably identifying technological risks to Māori. Um, articulating the risks to you know, at a at, at a, a common English sort of standard, and then uh, not being afraid to go and um, take on the government and yeah go go public about yeah what those issues are and you know how to fix them. 
Um, so just yeah, recently in the past when I've done that, uh, was with facial recognition, um, I made some. Well, I was told I was I was being quite brave, but I I thought no, this is just this needs to be said. So I, I did make a number of statements about the New Zealand police and biases and racism because I felt a little bit. I was like a little bit. Oh gosh, yeah, but I did it. And you know, and then you know, much to my surprise, a few oh, a few days later, I actually got a phone call from a, a senior police officer. I was like, "Oh, here we go. We've done done it now. It's going to be another <laughs> another one of these." <laughs> but but, yeah, but they they took on board what I said, and so I think yeah, just being able to yeah uh, yeah you know um, be in Te Ao Māori and be able to be at the at the front taking on the government is yeah my my yeah. So, do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yeah, um, I, I do now. It was a term I was never comfortable with. Um, growing up, we always oh, well, you know, you know, we, we do things like this, and we like to we like to use our education to get us ahead. But um, what I learned was that you know, the more educated um, family members became, Maori family members became, the more silenced they became. So, but our Maori activists, uh, and we've had so many great activists who yeah, I, I really admire. Um, and so, yeah, so I think, yeah, I put, reluctantly put myself at the lower end of the categories. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, wow. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, being an activist, I guess. <laughs> so, so many issues going on in the world. And, um, yeah, just knowing that I can voice it and maybe make a change, uh, raise the issues. Um, for me, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, growing up in a, you know, like a, a semi-rural North Canterbury town, I, 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 I saw racism, I saw discrimination, um, yeah, and I saw people who didn't want to say anything about it. So, um, yeah, just knowing I can get up in the morning and maybe help one person, maybe stop something, that, yeah, that definitely drives me. So, yeah. so what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, probably the, the biggest challenges will be um, addressing the um, government's sort of yeah, addressing the government's need and desire to use facial recognition and AI technologies while saying they're engaging with Māori when they're not actually engaging with Māori at the community level. Um, I, I see there's a huge amount of opportunities for um, consultation, for employment, and to stop a number of biases and future issues. So that will be, yeah, definitely uh, high on my agenda for next year or so. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, always um, be grateful for your family and friends. Uh, you know, life does get busy, but always make time to be around them. Um, it might sound a little bit cheesy, but, yeah, I think, you know, when, when you get to a certain age, you've, you've spent your whole life uh, worrying about work and worrying about everything else, and you realise that, you know, your, your cousins you grew up with are actually grandparents now, and, you know, you've kind of missed a couple of generations. So um, and we, we live in a world of false information where, yeah, it's important just to, yeah, be around people who love you and you love and yeah thank you very much thank you very much for joining me and do keep up the the very impressive work that we do need to, we need the conversation to continue thank you we'll do.
around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we are broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie get well tahu and this is marlon williams i'm samuel and I've been joined from Otutai Christchurch by Parati Ana That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Party one. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.